You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. We are in 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We go right through Scripture verse by verse. We boldly tell you what God's Word says about things because it doesn't matter what I think or what Nathan thinks or anybody on staff thinks. It, it matters what God says. And so we're going to be in chapter 9, and um, I'm going to pray here in a second, but as we do, I just want you to kind of look at this. This is not a mistake, okay? This is Hebrew. I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew here today, and uh, we're going to practice. So let's pray and ask that the Lord uh, opens our hearts to receive from Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who has given us truth. We pray, Lord, that you would instill that truth in our hearts now. Let us be a bold people who go out and take the love and the truth of, of who you are to a, a hurting world and a, and a broken world, God. Thank you for your great grace and your loving kindness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, so this Hebrew word right here is, uh, we would say, uh, hesed. But that's not technically uh, how you would actually say that in, with the Hebrew kind of, you know, oomph, if you will. So I'm going to teach you this. So you gotta, it's like you have phlegm in your throat. Okay, so. I just, sorry, I just spit. I, that was gross. All right. Uh, I gotta be, <laughs> be careful. Did you see that come out, Dean? Did, no? Was that, no, you saw, Tony, you saw that come out? That's gross. All right. Uh, this is why the Lord knew, he's like, I can't put you in Israel, Micah. You're going to have to be an American because you got to have that, you know, southern twang. I can do that all day long, you know, the, the Yankee or the southerner. I can do that. But uh, so hesed, so chesed. So everyone do it. Ready? One, two, three. That's good. And did you just, I feel like there's just spit just coming this way, like chesed. So, all right. So that's a Hebrew word. I'm going to go into what it means here in a second. But just, you know, when I, when I call on you, I'm going to need you to say chesed uh, as we go through this passage. Okay, one more time. Ready? Go. Oh, good. You guys are good. Amazing. All right. So you know Hebrew. All right. Okay, the next two chapters, chapter 9 and 10, we are going to be looking at the unmerited kindness, or we're going to see two responses to unmerited kindness that King David offers. And we call this in the church world grace. So if you ever heard someone say, okay, like give someone grace, what is that saying? It's giving them something that they don't deserve, giving them something good that they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving something to someone that they do deserve. So mercy would say, hey, you deserve wrath, and you deserve condemnation, but I'm not going to give you that because I'm going to have mercy on you. Grace is on the other side of the coin where it's like, you don't deserve anything good, but I want to give it to you anyway because I want to show you kindness. Okay? So that's what we're going to see in chapters 9 and 10. So this week and next week. So when I come next week, we're going to talk about the other side of this coin here. But, uh, but this week, it's all about kindness being uh, given, grace being given, and being received. So in Ephesians 4... Uh, Paul tells us this. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So last week I talked about the warrior spirit. And there's a time to extend grace and to look to be kind, and, and, but there's also a time to go to battle and to fight. And we have to balance that discernment within our lives. Now, you'll see next week, we should, David's going to look to give 
grace to someone else, and they're going to slap the grace away. Well, that's going to cause outright war. That's going to cause retaliation. It's going to cause justified war that David's going to go, and he's going to, he's going to uh, bring down the hammer because the grace was slapped away. So again, this is the balance of the Christian walk. It's we should look to be kind to one another. That doesn't mean that we just lay down and, and let the devil and his minions walk all over us because we want to be kind. Remember, kindness is not niceness. There's, there are two different things. Being, being nice is saying, I, just gonna, I, would, I would equate niceness to being someone who's, who just steps away from conflict. Okay, I want to be nice, but if there's ever pushback, I'm just, for the sake of niceties, I'm just going to step back. Kindness is different than that. Kindness is the heart of God. Kindness is saying, I'm looking to show grace, now, what you do as a response to that will lead me into to the, next, the next steps. And so, so Jesus was very kind, but Jesus was also someone that flipped over tables, cracked the whip, uh, spoke very hard truths to culture. He offended many people. They didn't crucify Jesus because they loved him. They crucified him because they hated him, but he was still very kind. But he was a warrior. He is, he is the warrior of heaven's army. So Ephesians 4 says, be kind. So we're going to look at the kindness that David is showing to someone who does not deserve it today. So in chapter 7, King David asked, he wants to build a temple for God. So a couple weeks ago, we, we, we said, we saw the heart of David. He said, I want to build something for God. He looks around, he says, what can I do for God? And now in chapter 9, he's looking around, he's saying, what can I do for others? I love this. This is a motto in the Christian church world. If you ever drive through churches or, or see the billboards at American churches, a lot of times they'll say, you'll see things that says, love God and love others. That's a mission statement a lot of churches have. That's a great mission statement. I mean, it's, it really just embodies what we're supposed to be doing. Loving God and loving others. What can I do for the Lord? What is he calling me to do? And then what can I do for others? What do others need? What can I, how can I give grace when, when others need it? So that's where we are in this chapter right now. David's looking around. He's saying, okay, what can I do for someone else? So we go to verse 1 of chapter 9. It says this. And David said... Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or? Oh, guys, come on, a little more. Okay, one more time. Ready to go. That was better. That was good, right? I, when, I can, when I can feel the, you know, a little bit of the spit kind of coming up here, that's, I, you, you're doing it right, okay? So it's amazing. I mean, you go to Israel, it's like people, like, it's just, it's that sound all the time. So, all right. But the kindness... I'm going to have a good time today, just so you know, okay? Like, just be ready for that. The kindness of John, for Jonathan's sake. So chesed is kindness. It's the word, it's, it's loyal or loving kindness is what that word means in the Hebrew. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show... Good. Of God. And to, and to, of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So kindness in this passage is a Hebrew word, chesed, and it's used 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's, it is a loyal, loving kindness. It's a very, very loyal love. Okay. It's not a feeling of that's going to be, it's, it's not, it, it, it's not something that's going to be, uh, be easily broken. You're, you're going to constantly say, no, I'm, for the sake of my loyalty to you, I'm going to show you kindness. And we see that Old Testament word used 250 times. Now, this young man, the descendant of Saul, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory if you're new here. We've been going through First and Second Samuel over the last year. 
And 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see a young man. His name is Mophibosheth. And actually a little boy. He's not a young man at the time. He's five years old. And he's Jonathan's son, and he's living in the house of Saul. And remember, David and Saul were enemies. Saul was, not because David wanted to be, but Saul was going after David. The Lord had removed the kingship from the house of Saul and placed it on David because Saul was disobedient to the Lord. And so now God said to Saul, I'm giving the kingdom to someone who's better than you. And I'm removing your descendants from the kingship. And I'm putting the house of David. I'm establishing the house of David. And that house will never end. And we know that Jesus is a descendant of the lineage of David. And his rule and reign will never end. But going back to Mephibosheth, okay, Mephibosheth was a five-year-old boy. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see this. The news that Jonathan, the son of Saul... Um, or Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet, and he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mophibosheth. Now in those days, remember, what happens when a new dynasty comes to power? This was culturally, for, throughout all of world history, this is what would happen. A new king would come to power, they would search out for all of, this, of the descendants of the old king, and they would kill the descendants of the old king. They would execute them, because they did not want to have any, any person in the whole kingdom questioning the new lordship and the reign of the new king. So that was commonplace. So the nurse gets word that Jonathan and Saul have both died, they died on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines killed them. And news comes back from Jezreel saying, hey, they're all dead. The nurse loving Mephibosheth, who's five years old, picks him up and runs with him. And in her haste, she falls and he becomes lame. He becomes lame in both feet. So it must have been a pretty traumatic, uh, uh, hard fall that they took. But Mephibosheth, let me kind of give you what I think probably was going on here. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm reading between the lines here because Mephibosheth the name means shameful breath. So as a child, they would name someone after, after the baby has been uh, alive for a number of days. They wouldn't give the baby a name right away. But as a child, oftentimes they name a child based on some characteristics of what the child was ex exhibiting in that moment. And shameful breath is not the fact that he has bad breath as a baby, all right? It was, it was probably because he didn't breathe well or he had some aspects of, uh, of asthma, all right, which then also would make sense when the nurse would pick up a five-year-old, okay, a five-year-old to, to run, okay? Now, my son Brody, who's right down here, Brody is super fast, right, Brody? Yeah, he's shaking his head, okay? Brody's fat. He's six years old. I could not keep up with him in a race, okay? So there is nothing, I would never, if we had to run somewhere quickly, I would say, Brody, run, and he would take off, and then I would try to I would be the one with shameful breath, right? Like, okay, slow down, man, slow down, right? So why would a nurse pick up a five-year-old and run with the five-year-old had it not been for some issue of breathing or some reason that this, this child probably couldn't run very long, very well? So she picks him up and then flees, and in her haste, she falls, and now Mephibosheth becomes a crippled. He, a cripple. Now he's, his whole life is now set on this trajectory of, of you know, uh, despair and, and depression. But David, fast forward now, David is sitting on the throne. David wants to honor the house of Saul, which is crazy. Remember, Saul's the enemy. Saul was not treating David well at all. But David loved Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends. 
They made covenants to one another. And David is remembering the covenant that he made with Jonathan. And he's saying, I need to find a descendant of Saul. I'm going to exalt him. I'm not going to execute him. I'm going to lift him up and exalt him. That's the, the heart of God is showing right now through David in many, many ways. But this is just one. And David is remembering a promise that he made to Jonathan. And David is a man of his word. I think that's one of the great... David had many flaws, don't get me wrong. But one of the characteristics of David is that he would honor his covenants. Today, we throw our covenants out the window so fast. I wish we would, we would be people of our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no is what Scripture says. But... David here is honoring his word. He's remembering what he made to Jonathan. And if you go back to second, or to First uh, Samuel in chapter twenty, this is Jonathan speaking to David. So, so this is the this is one of the last times Jonathan and David speak to each other, and they know Jonathan is seeing what's coming. He's seeing the enemies of the Lord uh, and the enemies of David. The Lord is striking down, and he knows that his house, the house of Saul, is probably not going to make it out of this one. And so he says to David this, he says, If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, knowing that his father is one of those enemies. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see David and Jonathan have this unbreakable bond. At that point, they split and they never see each other again. Jonathan goes and fights with his father Saul, dies on Mount Gilboa. But David then, the Lord, uh, raises him to power. And now he remembers this covenant. He says, I remember the covenant I made with my, with my best friend and, and brother in arms, Jonathan, who did so much for me, I want to repay and honor my word to his family. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? And Ziba comes and says, yes, there's one, and his name is Mephibosheth. So what David is doing, he's showing a, he's showing chesad. He's, chesad is the love willing to commit to itself to another by making its promise a matter of solemn record. Solemn record, that's a beautiful word. I, it, I'm taking it so seriously that it will not be broken. Boy, we need that in our culture now, don't we? Look how often we break our covenants. Look how often we say, well, I don't feel like I love someone anymore, therefore I can break whatever word I made with them. Or, or just, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's not solemn. And it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not your word is your word. It's not your bond anymore. But David said, no, I'm going to make this my solemn record and I'm going to go back and show the love to the house of Saul, even though they didn't deserve it. Now, if you can start to begin to see the parallels of the story, I hope you see that, but if you don't, this is a beautiful parallel of God's love for each one of us. God loves you and I with this same type of love, this chesad love, this love, this loyal, loving kindness type of love. He's not someone who is going to be swayed by emotion. He's not going to lose the feeling of love for each one of us and then forget about us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. Jesus did not want to take the cross up the hill of Calvary. He prayed, Lord, if there's any, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But out of his chesed love, he did it anyway. He was loyal, he showed his kindness, and he carried our cross that was supposed to be ours he extended, he extended the type of love that's unbreakable in its bond to each one of us. And we're seeing David as a picture of that. 
So in verse 4, the, David said, the king said to him, where is he speaking to Ziba? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mechir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mechir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to Mephibosheth, he said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Now, why would Mephibosheth be fearing? Because he's thinking at this moment, uh-oh, the king found another descendant of Saul, and he's going to execute me now. He's going to end it all. I'm done for. It's all, it's all come to, to this. It's come to this. I'm over. He's going to kill me. So that way there is no threat ever to the line of David. But David was not, remember, David was not someone who sought power. This is the difference. This is why David is such a good example of, of leadership within, within uh, governance. He did not seek to become king. Remember, David was just a shepherd boy. He was in the house of Jesse. He had no intention of ever being raised to kingship. And the Lord saw his heart and said, I'm going to make you king. And at this point in David's career, this point in David's life, David is very... Uh, very willing to say, this is not my kingdom, this is God's kingdom. Now you're going to see that power corrupts, and the heart of David is going to start becoming more corrupt because of power. But right now, David has no, he's not threatened, because he understands God is the one who put him there, and God's going to keep him there as long as God wants him there. Now imagine if we had CEOs, and leaders in government, and leaders in industry that had that same mindset. Oh, this is all God's, and he's going to keep me there until until he wants me there. And I'm going to lead the way that he would lead. I'm going I'm to I'm be a servant leader. This is not mine anyway. This is all I have is God's. Imagine the culture shift that would happen in so many businesses, so many industries, so many communities, when leaders actually have the same security in who they are in Christ, who they are in God. The problem is when you have insecure leaders, insecure leaders will do everything in their power to keep everyone else down because they don't want any threat to their, to their leadership. So Mephibosheth is coming in thinking, well, that's the cultural norm. I'm dead. I'm done. He's going to kill me. He's going to execute me. But David says, do not fear for I will show, let me see, I will show, good, chesed. Yeah, I think I was saying chesed. Uh, this is, yeah, that's chesed. Okay, sorry. Try it again. Good. Awesome. Yeah, my throat's getting a little scratchy, so I'm just going to have you guys do that now, okay? So you will be, and speak loudly because this is the online service, and, uh, and they, I, wanna, I want these microphones to pick you guys up too, so, okay? All right, let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Very good. Nice. You guys are awesome. All right. He wanted to show you that for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Now, again, the parallel, this is God's salvation for each one of us. This is a beautiful picture of God's salvation for each one of us. You have a man, Mephibosheth, who was rejected. His family was rejected. His family was now the outcast family of Israel. And yet the king reaches down and extends grace to someone who didn't deserve it. You and I are from the family of Adam, a rejected family, a family that has totally turned against the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We deserve rejection, and yet the King reaches down and extends grace. Mephibosheth 
had a fall that crippled him. He was useless within society. We had a spiritual fall that cripples us. We are useless in the spiritual realm had it, had it not been for the king. Mephibosheth was living in a, a region called Lodabar. This is east of the Jor- Jordan. It is a barren pasture. There's nothing good, nothing productive comes from Lodabar. He was living in a house even of someone else. He was poor. He's living in a whole region that he, it's not productive. He's not productive. There's, he's, it's just despair. Talk about depression. Despair and depression is, is Mephibosheth's whole existence. But the king stepped in. He was helpless had it not been for the king's intervention. You're seeing the picture play out here? It's like, geez, we are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. But the king stepped in to intervene. Praise God. Not only did he intervene for us, not only did he carry the cross, the king carried the cross up Calvary, he has made a place at his table for us. He has made a place in his house for us. What does that mean? It means that we are now seen as sons and daughters to the king of kings. You are sitting at his table. He's taking you on as his own son. Think about the Think about in Mephibosheth's mind. He comes in thinking he's going to be executed and essentially wins the lottery, right? Did you guys see that lotto ticket, by the way, that was a billion dollars? Okay, I'm just going to go off on a tangent here real quick because if you were to win that, someone won that, I don't know who won it, but a billion dollars, which is like, man, that's a lot of money. They have to pay $500 million in taxes, okay? That is thievery from the government, okay? Like that to me is like absolutely insane. However, that's still $500 million, okay? So, you know, I'm not saying that that's not a lot of money, but I'm just like $500 million in taxes, come on. So again, tangent, that's a problem. We can fix that later down the road, okay? So, uh, but, uh, (laughs) but, but think about Mephibosheth. He's coming in, he's winning the lottery in a sense, he thought he, I mean, he was going from poor, despair, destruction mentality. Now he's being said, I'm going to be, I'm going to treat you like one of my own sons, Mephibosheth. You will be a king's son sitting at my own table. Whoa. I mean, he had to probably be pinching himself being like, what is happening right now? Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says this, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is another word for the devil, following his influence, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Basically saying all of, all of mankind was Mephibosheth, living in despair, deserving of rejection, deserving of the wrath of the king. This is the best line in Scripture right here, verse 4. But God. But God. I don't know if you heard the testimony that Devin shared at the beginning of service. He mentioned that. I had no idea. I knew he was giving his testimony, but I didn't know he was going to say that. I didn't know he was going to say, but God stepped in. This is exactly, that was the Holy Spirit doing that. This passage right here is all about God stepping in. You were rejected. You were pathetic. You were useless, helpless. Everything about you deserved rejection. But God said, nope, I'm not going to let it end that way. Being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love. Good, good, thank you. All right, good. I'm just seeing you guys paying attention. And actually, that's not the word that they use there in the Greek, because that, that's Hebrew. So that Paul's writing in the Greek right now, but it, it applies. It's the same type of word, okay? So I just wanted you guys to have to say it again. So, uh, and I can do that because I'm the preacher. So, uh, yeah, I can get you guys to say it. All right. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, the unmerited favor, the unmerited gift that you do not deserve. You did not work to get this. It's not given to you because you're somehow a good person or somehow you were a child of God on your own. No, you were, you were a Mephibosheth, but God, by his grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And now get this. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. To paraphrase, it is going to take us all of eternity to, for God to show the depths of his love to us. You will never, ever get to the bottom of God's love for you. You will never see it in its fullness. You will never know how much he loves you because that's how amazing he is. That is the chesed of his love, the loving, loyal kindness. You'll never know in eternity. Where are you going to be 10,000 years from now? Where will you be 100,000 years from now? You will be somewhere and you will be thinking something. And if you are a child of God seated at his table, you will be looking back to this time on earth and you will be saying, God showed up when I was pathetic and wretched and helpless and he took me and he cleaned me off and he put me at his table and now 10,000 years later, I am still in awe of the depths of his love. That's the God we serve. That's the king. You are literally a modern day Mephibosheth. I am a modern day Mephibosheth. And he said, Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now Mephibosheth is responding to the king. Again, this is the parallel that I see in today's world. It is so hard for us to receive the grace of God. Why? Because we know who we are. We know that we are worthless because of the things we've done. You know your history. You know your past. And guess what? The Lord knows your history and the Lord knows your past. And so many of us respond to the grace of God the same way Mephibosheth is responding, saying, why? I am a dead dog. I am worthless. Why would the king have anything to do with me? And then the king called Ziba and said, uh, of Saul's servant and said, all that belonged to Saul and to his house, I have given to your master's grandson. So it's funny, the king apparently didn't even recognize the statement that Mephibosheth make, makes. He says, I'm a dead dog. And the king just ignores that statement and says to the servant, Ziba, I want you to restore everything that the house of Saul once had. I want you to restore that to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. That means he's going to be seen in the kingdom as one of my sons. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Again, Mephibosheth's response is, I'm a dead dog. Why would you want anything to do with me, king? What Mephibosheth was doing, he was living in his identity that he took on, that the world gave to him. He was a cripple. He was not of any value anymore. He was living in victimhood. But the king steps in and calls him out of that victimhood mentality. He says, you might think you're a victim, but I'm reaching down now. I'm grabbing you up. You are going to be a victor. No, no longer a victim, but forevermore a victor sitting at my table. There's a beautiful passage in Song of Solomon 2 verse 4. It says this, he, he brought me to the banqueting table. His banner over me is love. It's an old song that children would learn in the church days. Uh, he brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me is love. I remember singing that as a little kid. And I had no idea of the depths of that love. I still don't know, have any idea of the depths of the love, but I'm starting to see, wow, God, you are amazing. How? How you could look at me, a dead dog, and pull me out of my victimhood mentality and set me at your table to be a son of God. Children of God, if you are a child of God right now, I want you to hear this statement so clear today. You are not a victim. You are a victor through Christ Jesus. The world is telling all of us that somehow we're victims. Somehow you've been victimized, therefore you're a victim, therefore you deserve, you know, something, somebody to do something for you. That's not how it works. You're a victim because you have fallen to sin. You have been crippled. You're a victim because of the rejected family that you were born into. But God said, I'm stepping in to make you a victor. When the world tells you you're victimized, when you're a victim, say, no, I'm a victor. Now, you might be victimized. That means people, people can do bad things to you. Sure, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you're a victim. God has given us victory through Christ Jesus. The question is, will we receive it? Or will we say, I'm a dead dog. I don't deserve it. Keep your grace over there, God. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. I think it's interesting that they, the, the author at the end of this chapter writes he was lame in both of his feet. But he says that right after he is eating at the king's table. In that culture, when someone was to go and eat around the king's table, when the children would come in and sit down at the table before the king's there, ready to eat— they would lay down. Their feet are behind them. They'd be on a pillow they'd, uh, under their left arm, and they would eat at a, at a table that's very low to the ground. So Mephibosheth being crippled, he's laying down. His feet are behind him. His, his inadequacies aren't even seen at the table of the king. His inadequacies are, are nothing at that point. Everyone else is laying down. Everyone else is low to the table. Everyone else is a part of the king's table. He's just another one of the children of God. I think that's a beautiful picture. We have seen time and time again, people say, okay, well, I might be a child of God, but I certainly am not, you know, on equal playing fields with other children of God. That's not, that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you are all children of God. Now the question is, do you become sons and daughters or do you remain children? A two-year-old 
is not supposed to act the same way as a 22-year-old, and more importantly, a 22-year-old is not supposed to act as a two-year-old acts. So there are some of us here who are children of God, but you're still two-year-olds. A two-year-old is learning things about the father that's, I love you, you know, the father's pouring his, his love out on you, I can trust you as a father. That's what a two-year-old's learning. A 22-year-old, the father is now saying, take my authority and go out and actually act on my behalf. What God is wanting to do, he's wanting to take you from a child of God, he set you at the table, and now that's the starting point. Now he's saying, let me pour my authority out on you. Let me take my ring off and put it on you. And when you say things, you're saying things on behalf of the king. You're going out taking back what the enemy stole. You're not living in fear. You're walking as a victor, a mighty victor in this world. Now, is that you? Is that me? I hope so. And I think God is doing that here at Life Church. But that should always be on our, the forefront of our minds saying, are we victors? Or are we going to allow the victimhood mentality to set back in? Where did that victimhood mentality come from, by the way, with Mephibosheth? He had this idea of inequity, inequality. He had this whole idea was affirmed in him at a young age. At age five, what happened? Going back to the beginning of the story, Mephibosheth had a nurse who had a warped, understanding of the king's heart. All of his victimhood came because someone affirmed a lie in him. Someone said, there is a new king, and he's obviously going to kill you, and we need to go right now. And in her fear, all of his life was wrecked in that one moment because someone had a warped idea of the king's heart. If only the nurse would have known who David was. If only the nurse would have taken a second and knew the heart of this man of God, she would have never pick Mephibosheth up and run with him. He would have never become crippled, and he would have never known anything but the king's house. He would have been a five-year-old boy that because of Jonathan, David would have protected as a five-year-old boy. That boy would have grown up in the palace. That boy would have known his identity as a son of his adopted father, David. And that boy would have been an awesome threat to the enemy for the people of Israel. But because you had a warped understanding. The nurse, an adult in his life, did not know the heart of the king. All of his identity became victimhood identity. Boy, doesn't that preach today? Think about what we are teaching as a culture, what adults are teaching the next generation about who they are and who God is. They don't know the heart of the king. They don't know his love for mankind. They think they have an idea of who God is, and they say, oh, this God, he's a wrath-filled God, and you make a mistake, and he's up there ready to crack the whip on you, and he's bringing the hammer down. Yeah, you better run. And as they run, they become crippled, and they live in a, a setting of despair and depression and rejection their whole life. This is a modern-day parallel to what we go through in this culture. Who are you? Are you Mephibosheth in the story? Yeah, I think you are. Am I? Yeah, I think I am. The question is, how do you respond to the grace that God has given you? John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, this is a modern day pet peeve that I have. When people say, we're all children of God. All humans are children of God. That's a lie. 
No, we're not. We were rejected. We are children of Adam, the fallen family. But God steps in, and to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. You have to receive. If Mephibosheth would have slapped the king's hand away and said, no, king, I'm a dog, and I'm going to go live like a dog. I deserve everything. You know what happened? David probably would have killed him right in that moment for the, humil the humiliation and the lack of respect he was showing the king. And you know what's going to happen to all of those who reject Jesus and slap his grace away? They will be destroyed as well. You will walk yourself right into the pits of destruction. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I please hear me right now. That is not the king's heart for any one of you. But if you want that, he will allow you to go in that direction. If you want to reject the hand of the king and slap it away and say, I'm a dog, I don't deserve this, or I don't want this, or for whatever reason, I'm going to walk a different way. Okay, fine. Do that and see how that comes out for you. But I'm telling you right now, that's not the heart of your, your heavenly father. That is not the heart of the king of kings. He is extending a hand of grace, unmerited favor to you. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a child of God? Have you received the hand of grace? In Romans, it says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're a child of God, you know it. If you're not a child of God, you also know it. Are you gonna be honest with yourself today? And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Church, is that you? I hope it is. I'm gonna give you a chance to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today so that you can be a child of God too. The heart of the King is that every single person in this room, every single person on the face of the, this earth takes the hand of Jesus and becomes a child. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never taken the hand of the King said, I want to be a child. If you've never done that, but would like to do that now, we want to give you a chance. If you're here saying, Pastor Micah, I'm living as a rejected dog, living in filth and sin, but I'm ready to move into the house of the King. If that's you today, and you'd like to accept Jesus, accept his hand of salvation, would you just slip your hand up? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.